Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Stephanie Malia Kraus, author of Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive, and Making It, What Today's Kids Need for Tomorrow's World. She's been featured on NPR, PBS, US News, and more. And as a consultant, she works with educators and others to make sure young people are ready for the world and that the world is ready for them. Stephanie, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. I'm so excited to be with you both today. Uh, We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you. Stephanie, you used to work formally in the field of education in that you were a teacher and you ran a school. And about a decade ago, you left that work because you had a realization. Helping students earn a high school diploma was not the same thing as getting them ready for adulthood. Can you tell us what brought you to that place? What did you see? What did you experience? What made that disconnection clear in your life? So one of the hardest moments should have been one of the happiest moments in my education leadership journey, and it was a graduation ceremony. I was running a high school at the time in the city of St. Louis for young people who were what we call overage and undercredited. So these were young people who had not succeeded in traditional high school. Often they were kids who had gotten pushed or pulled out of school because of life situations physical or or mental challenges that they were grappling with, economic issues that they were struggling with. We had set up the school to be one that had a mission of re-engaging these kids back into school and really educating and equipping them in ways that left them fully ready for what would come next. And What we ended up learning was that there was very little time the state would stop paying for them on their 21st birthday or 23rd birthday if they were receiving special education services. We became a place that was really narrowly focused on completion of graduation requirements. Many of the work readiness pieces, social service aspects, more holistic supports really fell off by the wayside. So speed along to this graduation ceremony, the students have met these requirements. The kind of feel in the auditorium is that that diploma is going to be this golden ticket, that it truly is our mission realized. It was such an ethical dilemma for me to be giving them this diploma, knowing that our mission was to get them ready, and that really what we did was we got them to complete the graduation requirements, and that some of those requirements were really important to know, but some of them were nice to know and not really necessary. And there were necessary pieces of getting them ready for life that we hadn't been able to attend to. Yeah, so seeing that disconnect sets you on a mission to, as you say, figure out what kids really need to survive and thrive in a changing world. And that's a big question. It's a big thing to try to figure out. So where did you turn? How do you even begin a mission like that? These pressing questions of what does it take to be ready and what does it take to be well are questions that actually started for me in my own personal background. I'm a GED recipient myself. The last full year of public education that I completed was the eighth grade. But the questions started with my own. 
what was it that I had that made me ready? And what was it that I needed to be well? And what would it take for me to thrive at that point in my life and moving forward? And then when I became a classroom teacher and eventually a school leader, I was asking those questions of my students. What would it take for them to be ready, for them to be well, and trying to kind of like match and figure that out. So by the time you get to that ethical dilemma at the graduation ceremony, there was this real break and pivot in my career where I went back to the board and began a series of extremely difficult conversations. I at that time met Karen Pittman, who was running the Forum for Youth Investment. And she had heard the story of my very political and public decision to close our school. When we decided that we actually existed to get young people ready, we realized we were never going to accomplish our mission in the current system. And so we made this really brutal but important and right choice to close the school over a year. We supported and transitioned each student. And so she reached out and said, you know, she had been asking herself the same question at the national level. What actually does readiness require? And would I come and work with her alongside her to try and answer that? And so I was really fortunate to make the transition from local work to national work through a senior fellowship with the Forum for Youth Investment, where the Ford Foundation funded a multi-year project that we dubbed the Readiness Project. And it gave space and time to dig into the research and science and to look across all of the different systems and sectors that often are so siloed. And that's what really brought me to writing the first book, Making It. So let's talk about that book and talk about readiness because that book entitled Making It focuses on what you call the four currencies that kids need to make it in the world. Competencies, connections, credentials, and cash. Can you tell us about these four currencies and why they're important? Making it was what I considered my love letter back to the front lines. When I was in the classroom and the school leader, there were all of these inconsistencies between what I knew was best for my kids and what I was having to do. And I was trying to reconcile them on a daily basis. So making it was an attempt to pull back from any kind of existing framework and instead say, we need to look at the world as it is, a world that unfortunately is still very unjust and unfair, and understand what a more realistic roadmap is for what young people need. Oftentimes in schools, particularly in schools where young people are coming from poor or impoverished households, we will say, you just need to be skilled enough and you just need to get that credential and you'll be all right. But it doesn't attend to how expensive life is, the role that cash plays, how who you know is really how you get so many opportunities, job opportunities, that there were sort of nuances about how this real world works and how not only unfair it is, but like really recognizing the rules. So these four currencies are really meant to be kind of the roadmap for what readiness requires in the context of a changing world. So the currencies, the first one, competencies, are 
these skills that people used to think were innate, like problem solving or decision making, a lot of the skills that you talk about in When You Wonder that we now know can be taught and practiced and developed over time, connections, I think about as social health and social wealth. So there is an importance in relationships that I dig into really deeply in Whole Child, Whole Life. Relationships matter basically more than anything else. But there's also the issue of social capital, which is what I mentioned earlier, like who you know and who knows you is a way in which doors of opportunity are open and extended because some young people are kind of born with or raised with this social bank account of relationships they can count on to extend economic opportunities, education opportunities, employment opportunities. Credentials was more of a, I don't know, a come to Jesus moment with folks. I think every school district in America in their mission talks about college and career readiness. I moved on from the forum, running national credentialing campaigns and working in higher education and workforce development, and knew that the higher education world has changed dramatically, and there's a proliferation of credentials. And most parent and educators have an outdated picture of what that credentialing world actually looks like and the things that we need to know about it. And then that last currency is cash, where I take on both the high cost of a free public education, that so many of the opportunities that end up yielding scholarships and future college admissions actually cost money, even though they should be free. And that getting into college and doing internships and apprenticeships and other pieces, sometimes that takes upfront money too. The call at the end of the book is really asking what does it look like for us as educators and parents and coaches and counselors to become currency builders, to help young people understand the importance of those currencies and figure out ways they're kind of depletable resources to replenish when they need them. You mentioned earlier, Stephanie, Karen Pittman. So we should say that Karen is, uh, first of all, an amazing person, also a friend of the show. We encourage our listeners to go back and listen to our interview with her. Because in that interview, Karen talks about changing the odds, changing the odds that kids will succeed and thrive in the world. And it's exactly what these currencies help them do. And so I'm curious, where are kids developing these currencies now? We imagine that school is probably part of the answer, but not the whole answer. Who's helping kids make it? And what needs to happen to help all kids make it? One part of making it was trying to illuminate that young people are not cogs in a single system. They're growing up in families and communities and whole vibrant ecosystems of relationships and interactions. And these currencies can and should be built and accrued and practiced in any of the spaces and places where they spend time. You know, I talk about this in Whole Child, Whole Life, too, the importance of mapping a young person's world and being able to see the richness of relationships and opportunities and resources where those relationships and resources might be weaker to understand which currency needs to really be invested in and where a young person might need additional support or services, assistance. So when we think about cash, for example, a young person may need direct cash assistance or an individual development account that's going to match every dollar that they earn because their parents haven't been putting away money into a savings account since they were babies. 
So it's really that kind of honest appraisal. Similarly, we often in the youth development world will talk about the importance of relationships and relationships mattering. And sometimes we don't go far enough. So we talk about the one caring adult and we focus on social health, which doesn't attend to economic health. And in order for young people to make it, they have to be well. We want them to have wonderful life-giving relationships. They also have to be ready. And a part of being ready is being able to afford the life that they're in. This is Greg Baer, along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Stephanie Malia Krauss, author of Making It and Whole Child, Whole Life. Stephanie, in 2022, you were meeting with some teachers in Virginia when you got a text from your husband that changed your family and in a way, the direction of your work. Might you tell us about that day? It was a day that I believe every caregiver, anyone raising children in the United States rehearses or considers, particularly after their kids have entered school. I got like the double text. You know, we have a a double call, double text rule in our house. And there was a call. And I knew immediately that it was a school shooting. The text message said, don't go on social media, call me right now. And it was though I had been primed for that moment. My husband and I have our two biological children. One is a rising fifth grader. The other is a rising seventh grader. And we also have our godchildren who spend most summers with us. Our godchildren are a deep integrated part of our family life. So I got these text messages. I saw his message. I knew that there had been a school shooting and it was just a question of which child. And so I walked over to the corner and I called him and sure enough, there had been a brutal school shooting at the Visual and Performing Arts High School that my godson attended. And at that point, all I knew was that my godson had been shot and that he had just arrived at the hospital. And it was a incredibly, you know, as you can imagine, a a traumatizing moment and situation. Ironically, I was supposed to interview a survivor of the Parkland school shooting that morning for the book Whole Child, Whole Life. I did end up talking to him. He's a nationally, internationally known activist and advocate now, David Hogg. Instead of interviewing him for the book, I was asking for guidance on how we needed to navigate the aftermath of the school shooting, which included press from every outlet you could imagine, demanding and asking to actually talk to my godson, even as he was at the emergency room. So we had this experience of an issue that had become global, becoming very proximate and personal. And I'll tell you, my son wrote the preface to my latest book, Whole Child, Whole Life. And in it, he references school shootings as something that he and his peers have to think about all of the time. For today's kids, they have to survive and thrive at once, whether it's school shootings, climate changes, political rifts, pandemics, they're constantly confronted with these life-threatening situations. You had this horrific personal experience, and of course, there's all sorts of coverage now about kids and families who've gone through similar things. We have a separate but very much related youth mental health crisis. 
And you've written that, you know, as you continue to talk to educators and families around the country, you heard this refrain again and again that our kids are not okay. And I'm wondering if you could explain how this affected your thinking about young people and their development and how this sort of sets you on the path toward writing your latest book. So if we intersect these stories of the currencies and making it with what happened to my godson and how it impacted our whole family. When Making It came out, it was the height of the pandemic. And I was doing this pandemic book tour in my basement. We couldn't go anywhere. And I was talking about how the future was changing, the future of learning, the future of work, and what young people would need to be ready for it. And every single time at the end, somebody would say, thank you. We need to know what our kids need to be ready for adulthood but we're really worried that they're gonna burn out or give up before they get there. The kids are not okay. And the thing was, was that as a mom, I felt that in my bones, like that was the thing that I worried about the most was not, are my kids performing or are my kids succeeding? It was this real shift and nuanced idea of like, what will it take for them to be okay? And then more than okay, what will it take for them to build and live a life that they love? And what is my role in that? There was this important lesson I learned when I was writing Making It, which is that science has progressed enough that if our children have the right resources and opportunities, they are likely to live a 100-year life or longer. And so I really wanted to find these practices that were going to support young people as they were surviving situations and experiences that were really tough and traumatic, and as they were living their lives in these really turbulent, volatile times. And that really became the the driving focus behind Whole Child, Whole Life. What are these kind of timely and timeless practices that support young people's mental health, that support them when they're going through grief and trauma, but also invest deeply in their well-being and their flourishing? So Stephanie, let's talk about what you learned because your latest book, Whole Child, Whole Life, is this wonderful guidebook for anyone who's working with, caring for, or raising young people. And as you noted, you include in it proven practices to help children thrive. So can you give us an example or two of these practices? So these 10 practices are things that we instinctively and intuitively often know are important, but tend to underinvest or deprioritize in favor of performance or achievement or completion. So a couple of those practices, they're talked about in the book in a way that moves sort of progressively, although what you want is a young person to have these practices alive and well, across the full ecosystem of where they spend time. So they may not get all 10 practices out of every adult relationship or every place where they are, but across their day and across their life, all 10 should really light up. So these are things like meeting basic needs and prioritizing mental health, but also nurturing healthy relationships, building community and belonging. Interestingly, there are these temporal practices. So one is attending to the past and present and really understanding the way that our history and our own lived experience and also our parents and grandparents really shapes us. 
thinking with the future in mind, there's a chapter called Act with a 100-Year Mindset. At the far end are these practices that researchers would call transcendental. These are things like being a force for good, the importance of young people, as we saw after Parkland with the March for Our Lives movement, being able to have some level of agency and power in seeking solutions for the big problems that are impacting their lives, feeling like they have a role in solution making. I also talk about both identity development and spiritual development. I wanted to give a full picture for anybody who cares for kids about all of the things that matter. And we are wired for spirituality, for asking ourselves, are we a part of something bigger? Is there a purpose and meaning behind this? And we're also wired to ask who we are. Who am I? Where do I belong? Who are my people? What makes me me? And so all of those pieces come together and form this picture, what I call whole life practices that are important across what I think about as like the wide of kids' lives, across all of the settings and situations that kids find themselves in, whether it's museums or camps, counseling, youth development programs, schools, at home, in community, and the long of their life. These are practices that we ourselves need to be focusing on and prioritizing in our own life. They basically become self-care practices for kids. Stephanie, how can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? I would love to be in contact with people who are listening to this show because we are absolutely kindred spirits. To find out more about the book or book-related talks, you can go to wholechildwholelife.com. I also put out weekly-ish tips on thriving that are totally free, and you can sign up for that. And to find out more about me, you can go to stephaniemaliakraus.com. I'm also on some of the social media platforms. Those seem to be shifting in the sand right now. But the best way to find me is stephaniemaliakraus.com or wholechildwholelife.com. And folks, that is Kraus with two S's. Stephanie, before we go, we have just one more question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? Prioritizing well-being as the goal and doing regular checks with your kids who are constantly evolving and changing. Most importantly, I wrote Whole Child Whole Life because we are caring for kids, but we're not trained in all of the aspects of caring for kids. And so I think committing yourself to understand that this is a job we have taken on and that we need to get knowledgeable and upskill in the areas that we're not as educated in and that that is okay not to know everything, but it's not okay to know that you don't know and not to do something about it. Thanks again to Stephanie Malia Kraus, author of Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive, and the author of Making It, What Today's Kids Need for Tomorrow's World. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning. Learn more at remakelearning.org.